Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Now, we have had many near-death experience guests on the show before, but today we have what has been called one of the most profound and detailed near-death experiences ever recorded. Today on the show, we have Betty J. Eady, and she is the author of the New York Times best-selling number one book, Embracing the Light. In 1973, at the age of 31, she died following a routine surgery. And what happened next is remarkable. So without any further ado, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Betty Eady. How are you doing, Betty? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I'm excited to talk to you about your journey uh, and and your life's journey and before your before the the big event and all the other things in your book and everything. So, uh, first question I have to ask you is, what did you what were your thoughts about dying and death before your near death experience? When I was a child at a boarding school, and I was about four years old. Um, I was told that because I was Native American and because I was part Irish, that I was a heathen and a sinner and that I would be going to hell. And part of their uh, help for me was to educate me about the ways of God. Um, what I learned instead was fear of him. Um, frightened and I couldn't imagine why the color of my skin and the fact that I'm Native American would, why would God select this, this type of people to put into hell? And so I was fearful all my life. I was fearful of dying. Um, I didn't particularly uh, believe that God was the God that they were teaching, but I didn't know who God was. And it was frightening, uh, very frightening for me. But that was just, a, that wasn't something that led my life. I think I pushed that into the subconscious mind and just got on with living. And um, I had a, a low self-esteem, low self-worth, all the things that come with um, uh, child abuse. Uh, and so at the age of 31, I had married young and had uh, seven children. 
Um, I know. <laughs> um, wow. I have, I have a couple and I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, I'm sure I, I'm sure I was too, to some extent, but, um, anyway, that was, it was very frightening to me to go through that experience, um, of, of life just growing up, but I wanted a family that I could be with forever. And, um, so I married and had my own, my children raise them the way that I wanted to raise them. Uh, I actually took them and put them into churches uh, only to become disillusioned, disillusioned and uh, take them out because they were told that they were, they were sinners and had to get on their knees. And they're like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, you know, just babies. And when they came back and told me what they, that they had to spend time on their knees begging God for forgiveness that just did it for me and religion mm -hmm. um at the age of 31 I went into the hospital to have a hysterectomy and it was during that time first time I'd ever had any surgery or anything at all I'm fairly healthy woman have always been healthy uh went into the hospital I hemorrhaged during the surgery and right shortly after and um, and they had staff problems and there were a few nurses that were around. They told me that uh, I was fine after the surgery, except for a slight hemorrhage that they had repaired and um, bedded me down for the night. I awoke um, and I felt myself dying actually. You know, you just feel this sick feeling and. And uh, I knew something was wrong, but I was too weak to call for the nurse. And the next thing I knew, I was out of my body. Um, I went up to the up to the ceiling and turned to look down, and I could see myself uh, laying there. I came down for a closer look, and I wasn't frightened. I was amazed at what I saw. Um, and shortly thereafter, three men in brown robes and golden belts appeared by the side of the bed. I knew them, but I, I, it was taking me a while to, to really recognize them, but I knew I was comfortable with them. And, um, they said that I had died prematurely but that everything would be okay. I was worried about my family. I wanted to go home and see them. And so I went out, my spirit went out through the window and I arrived at my home. My husband was sitting in a chair, uh, reading a newspaper. The kids were running all over the place. He had promised to put them to bed early and he didn't. Uh, I remember being annoyed at him, even out of my body. I was annoyed at my husband. <laughs> Once a mama, always a mama. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, uh, but I knew that they would be fine. I just had this. It seemed that the longer I was out of my body, the more knowledge I was able to to receive and accept, I think, more than receiving. I think it's there. It's just challenging to go from being a mortal being to being a spiritual being. And uh, I started to, I could see into each one of their lives and I knew that they would grow up 
and that they would be fine and it was okay to leave them. Um, I went back to the hospital bed and started traveling down uh, in, into a tunnel-like effect, just spiraling down it. I mean, it, it was moving, I was, I was moving too, but not twirling like it was moving me uh, at such a tremendous pace. Uh, uh, pace. Um, I came to a dark place, very dark, very black. I love to camp and have gone camping a lot. And when you're in the middle of the forest, especially in the state of Washington, where the trees are, oh my goodness, you know, they're so tall. They Beautiful. When you're in the middle of them, you don't see the sky at night. It's pitch black. Well, it was pitch black in this space, but I felt no fear. And I have claustrophobia. So it was challenging for me, even in that moment, to think, I have no fears. I have no, I'm not frightened of this black. In fact, I felt like I was being bathed in love. It was warm and beautiful. It was, I, you know, I, I have often said, I, if I didn't know what, what was beyond this, this blackness, I would have wanted to stay there forever. I could live eternity in that space. Um, but it didn't last for long. And there I saw a pinpoint of light um, that became brighter and brighter. It was almost like a searchlight. Uh, it moved around a bit, not a lot, but just a little bit where I was watching it and then it focused on me. And as it focused on me, it broadened. But more than that, it drew me out of that blackness and right into that and up and out. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, I was traveling at a speed. I can't even tell you what that speed would be like. And I've often thought, was it speed? Was I traveling or was I going through a transformation? My, you know, spiritual transformation. And of course, I don't know. But when I came to the end of that light and the light was brighter than ever, it just widened and it turned, there was a, a beam in the, in, in the light and I could see the shape and the outline, but the light was so bright. And then it just, a golden halo uh, around him. And I, I, I could see that it was a male figure. Um, as I got uh, closer, then I knew who this man was. I knew who he, who he was because I had always known him, always. Just like the three that met me at my bedside. I knew that I had known them. In fact, they said, we've known each other for eternities. Well, I had heard of eternity, but I had never heard of eternities. Mm -hmm. And I thought, my gosh, I mean, I knew them and I loved them, but I knew that this was Jesus and I knew that I loved him and that I had always known him, perhaps for eternities as well. 
And then what surprised me as I thought back about on it, when I'm going through the process, it, there was no thinking. It was just responding in a very natural, normal way to this beautiful man that I knew that I had known forever. So it would be like dying and, and meeting your mother or your father and you run to them to embrace them. And that's what I did with him. And I ran to him. And as I ran to him, he opened his arms to receive me in them. And we embrace. And I said, why did you send me to earth? Why did you send me down there? I never, ever, ever want to go there again. And he said, I said, much less send me down to become an Indian and an Irish person who was criticized and, and condemned for everything you can think of. And I just ran and raved. I was just irritated. He chuckled. He leaned back and he just, he was amused. <laughs> I, and I thought at the time, how could he be amused at something when I feel so in, irritated, even angry about? And he said, but you chose it. I said, I did. He says, yes, you did. He said, every spirit here is at a different level of growth. Everyone. And each one is on earth to be tested, to test with the, their growth that they have acquired thus far. And he said, and you chose to go down to, in, to the family that would give you the greatest challenges. I said, wow, I don't think I would do that now. He said, you probably wouldn't have to. And he went on and he just, and, 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 and as he spoke, it wasn't even words. It was like, it was more like he was speaking to my heart because it just, it resonated in me. I mean, everything, every thought, every feeling it was wonderful, beautiful. I can't even tell you. I'm, I'm resisting breaking out in tears even now because the glory of this experience cannot be put into words. Mm -hmm. We don't have the the language. We don't have it's all it's it's feelings that you have. Um, and he went on to, uh, you know, and I'm bubbling with questions now uh, because, you know, my life was pretty tough. He said, but you endured it. You endured it. He said, you have acquired greater growth because of all your challenges. Everyone is challenged by that, what they need to understand and to grow from. And he said, and you endured it. And I said, I did, because I, <laughs> I really didn't think that I endured too much. He says, you endured it. And he said, um, oh, and I just went on and on uh, asking him all these questions. And he just kept chuckling. And he said, uh, 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 two, uh, I called them guides because they became my guides, but uh, and I can't call them angels because they didn't have wings like 
Yeah, no. Yeah, they didn't have those, but um, two ladies came over and he says, show her everything she wants to be shown. Take her and show her. And they said, okay, and so they did. And they took me around and one of them I wrote about in in my book, Embraced by Light, is about the garden. The place that I look back forward to, I don't look back, I look back on, but I look forward to experiencing again because it was the most magnificent garden in the world. The movie Avatar ca captures it in the human way that they can, but of course it is nothing as, even though it was brilliant and beautiful, one of my favorite movies of all times. Mm. But I, I mean, I, I, I think I watched it about I don't know, nine times or so and then bought the DVD and I still watch it and I show my grandkids um, and I explain heaven is like this because when I stepped into the garden, um, I, I always like grass to hit me or, you know, not, it wasn't grass. It was more like weeds across the, where I lived, there was a field and I would go out there and walk in there. And there was some grass, some green, but mostly, but it would be high. And early in the spring, it'd be up to about to my calves and I'd love to walk in it and feel the, feel it brush in my legs. I don't know, there was something cool and calm about that. Uh, to me, it was wonderful. And as I looked on at this grass that I was walking on, it was a, a green that, that you just can't even imagine because it's a green, but each blade of grass had life. It had spirit, it had energy. Each, each blade, imagine that. And as I walked on that, and I, and I imagined that it was taller so it, it could brush the back of my calves and it grew. It grew up to right where I wanted it. Like I said, we communicated in some nonverbal way and it grew up like Avatar. So mm -hmm. it the same type of thing. And the spirit, and they showed it the, the grass and everything brightening like a light bulb coming up on inside of it. But what, what you see in heaven is greater than that. It's, um, it's the spirit of each plant, each flower, each blade of grass. It's the spirit spirit that you're sensitive feeling and it's all beautiful just I mean beyond imagination at one point I saw a rose and I crawled into it I went over and I held it cupped it in my hands and was just smelling it it was wonderful and as I was smelling it and feeling it and loving it it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew now, I've often wondered, was it growing or was I shrinking? Because I went inside of it. It beckoned me to come in. And I went inside the rose and went clear down into the stem of it. And the fragrance was wonderful. And I, it loved me and I loved it. There was great love in that, in that rose. Um, immense love. And I remember coming out when I came out of it and it was still a huge rose. I remember kneeling down by it and just praising God 
for that experience. I mean, that's how glorious it, it, that it was. Wow. It really was. Unimaginable, really. I mean, I would never have thought that I could go inside a rose. What's finally fascinating about your story so far is that it's so detailed. Yes. It is one of the more, I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken to many people who've had near-death experiences and I've never heard something so, you, you're so detailed. It almost seems like a mixture of Avatar and Alice in Wonderland. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I studied the, um, uh, some of the background of the avatar because I thought someone there had to have experienced a near-death experience. Did, did you find anybody? Uh, no, I haven't really. I mean, I didn't go that far into it, but I just, I, it just really amazed me. And, and uh, I haven't uh, experienced Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so I don't know about that because when I was in the boarding school, we weren't allowed to to read books or to watch. Well, there wasn't any television back mm-hmm. then when I was a child and um, or go to movies, theaters or any of that. That was not allowed. It was a religious preference of this group. So all right, so you're in you're just coming out of the rose. Right. So what what happened next? So after I came out of the rose, I actually went into, there was a, a, a waterfall. Um, uh, it, it was very, very tall, very, very, very big on the mountainside. And it came down and it came into a, uh, a like a river and a pond. And it was beautiful. And, you know, the church I went to, I went to many churches. I think I joined them all because Every time I'd go to a church, they'd say, right. you don't belong to us. You're going to go to hell. And I thought, well, per, just in case there is a loving God, just in case there is the heaven, just in case there is a church that is the only one, I went and I joined them all. Joined Fair enough. Them. Fair oh, enough. I, I wanted- just to make sure. Just want to cover all my bases. Just want to cover all my bases. Oh, I'm telling you, I really had to cover all my bases. That's how that that's how intense I was about about preserving myself. And um, so, uh, and they in this one church, they said that when you die and go to heaven, that everyone sings praises all the time. And I started singing. I used to have a good voice. Um, I would sing. I could sing perfectly. Ave Maria and and some right. of the other songs because I wanted to have a good voice once sure. I got to heaven. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, as one would, <laughs> as one would have, I mean, you don't yeah. want to go up there off key. I mean, that's uh, no, not. You, you wouldn't. No, because everything <laughs> there is perfect. And the music, everything is there. It's so perfect. <laughs> but every droplet of water coming down over, cascading over the falls, coming down, saying but not not with our voice but the sound vibrations almost oh my gosh wonderful and i remember thinking that's how we praise god we praise god with our essence our very being when we love when we think good when we are kind to one another we glorify him 
So just as the droplets are coming down, they're glorifying God with their being, with what they have to give. And just like the flowers opening up, they glorify and 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 anytime a creator creates something and that thing is perfect, and if it can give back something, like just the beauty even, mm -hmm. like a like a painting, and people look at it and say, Oh my gosh, that's the most glorious painting there ever. The painter, the person, the artist is glorifying and that's how we glorify god not mm. by all this other stuff but by that and and all that knowledge just comes comes into you when you it's, flo it's, it's flooding into you. into you yeah you become enlightened and that's what uh, that's what came into me and i'm going wow well yeah that makes total sense not like as if someone's talking to me and yet someone is feeding me all this knowledge and it, it was it was incredible and then probably the most exciting thing not the most exciting but the most unexpected thing is two warring angels came to war warring well it's what we call warring angels okay they do war against evil but they're not, they don't do battle with knives and guns and sure. that. Yeah. They are so gifted, so spiritual, so beautiful. And now things are often said and shown in, uh, uh, through metaphors, mm -hmm. uh, giving you an image that you would understand. And so to me, a, a warring angel has all of the garbs on, right? And that's how they appeared to me. But I understood that much that of what was given me was given uh, at the level that I could comprehend. So, um, well, like Jesus, I said, where are the nail prints in your hands and your feet? And he laughed, giggled, there he just chuckled. And he said, he said, you don't need to see my pain to know who I am. And he, and he showed me his palms. He had nothing. Um, I, I think back on that. And I think, why don't I need to see that? You know, what, at what level am I that I can accept him without all the minutiae. Why? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I try not to stay in that thought too long and, and it doesn't stay there anyway, but uh, I have tried to analyze certain parts of, of it. I, um, so anyway, they, they came and they said it was time to go to the other worlds. Now this is 1971. I had never believed in other worlds. Can I can I stop you for a second? In 1971, how much information was out there on near death experiences and the and the kind of tropes that are involved in 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 those kind of like the common the common story 
you know, storylines or story plots that everyone kind of goes through. Was there a lot of information? I know Raymond Moody wrote a book. I'm not sure when that book got released. Was there a lot of information at that point about that? wrote a book. It was my experience was in 1971. Raymond wrote his book. I believe it was in 1975. Okay. So there there wasn't a lot. There was none. Okay. And um, uh, 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 Elizabeth Elizabeth Taylor uh, wrote on death and dying. So she was focused on the death process, Mm -hmm. not on the afterlife and et cetera. it was later on I, I actually met her and went and you know, we did a speaking event together um, and we became very good friends um, that I gathered a lot of information. But no, Embraced by Light, at the time when I had the experience, I hadn't read anything about near-death experiences at all. Okay. As a young mother of seven children, my life was spent at, you know. Enough said. <laughs> enough said you know you know the, the, what that requires i'm just multiplying i'm just multiplying in my head the numbers and whatever i feel times it by like three or four and i feel where you were they were my life so you were going so then you were said you had to go to the other worlds what was that like we went to the other worlds and we traveled at, at, again at another um uh speed that i i, I can't even um describe um one of them on either side of me but not touching me and we just traveled and we arrived at uh this one and that one and the other one and um there were many worlds and i just remember one portion of of that and they said the rest would have to be taken from my my memory Uh, but as we arrived uh, people came and they were excited and what they looked like I, I don't I don't even know I mean I, I know in the subconscious mind I'm sure but at the time they were I knew them again and I was connected with them in some unusual way because they where they took me to meet with these people I came to give a report We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. A report? I mean, <laughs> I know it sounds bizarre, but nonetheless, it's, it's very, very real. It was very true. And I gave them a report and they gave me a report back saying that that they are um, protecting the our earth and that we will see more and more of them as time goes on because the world was heading to a bad place and um but not to fear that there is no death but they wanted to help us save the world and i was shown many things that were kind of associated with that some of it was what we are experiencing right now. Um, it could get worse. Uh, what will save it will be the help from them as well as um, our spiritual growth. Uh, because there's greater power in prayer 
our communication with God. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't believe that because they think prayer is when you get on your knees, you go to church and you run to the altar or, or whatever. And it, it really has very little to do with any of that, that those are fundamental things that were taught. So it's uh, uh, like a ritual thing. When you get on your knees, uh, you become a little more um, calm, your spirit, you know, so it's things that are good, not putting them down. I've been through it all. And I know that it, it, it works for many people. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, go into the closet and pray. Well, what is a closet, but the inner sanctuary, your inner sanctuary of the sanctuary mm-hmm. in your heart, go in there. You go in there and it's just, a, it's your desire uh, your intention and your desire and that goes out in what was shown to me is a matrix that covers and i did see matrix <laughs> i see that you like sci-fi films you and i can go to a movie together <laughs> well someone came and they says betty what you're always talking about the matrix there's a movie out and it's called the matrix you got to go see it so I did. It was Matrix number one. And I, I went there and I, I, I just I, I couldn't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. And I was on tour with my book at the time. And every time I'd have an extra day anywhere on tour, I'd say, they'd say, what do you want to do? You've got a day. I want to go see the Matrix. So off we'd go and I'd go see the Matrix because I, I, I saw the Matrix that covers our world. The Matrix is, is sort of like uh, like electrical uh, field, an energy field that goes all around us. When we pray with intent, good intent, the, that goes out just like energy, just like electricity into this matrix, it tweaks the matrix. Now, when you have the whole world praying for the same thing, can you imagine what that would be? Bliss. If, the, if it's all good intention. When you have all the evilness going out, it's energy too, and it goes out into the matrix. This changes our weather. This changes everything, earthquakes. It creates all kinds of things. So, I, I, and I'm trying to grasp the full meaning of all of that. Um, and yet I understood it already. Mm. So it's kind of a strange feeling. Right. You like, you understand it at a different level that you can't grasp. If that makes any sense. Totally different level. And, uh, coming away from that, I'm just, it's still like popcorn. I'm going, so that's what it was. Yes. I'm remembering now. I mean, you're just going into it. The brain is just, a um, uh, our physical brain is amazing but our spiritual brain our brain and spirit our whole essence is incredible it's just it's just beyond so after you're done after they're done giving the report and taking the reports then what happens so then they took me back um to the garden and i met people that i had passed before me thousands of them but we had known each other forever and they were 
basically saying farewell to being ISIS. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> when Jesus told me I had to go back, that it was not yet my time, I told him the same thing. I says, I'm not going, I'm not going, and you can't make me. <laughs> I said those words. I swear I said Did he giggle? Words. Did he giggle? You know, it it was, yeah, it was like, yeah, right. Yeah, right, of course, you know. And um, I says, No, I'm not. He actually took me to a council of men. Now, this is back in the 70s. I was a little bit, I liked uh uh some of the, uh, I'm trying to remember her name, Helen Reddy. I mm -hmm. liked the songs back then. I am woman, hear me roar, you know, the mm -hmm. woman movement, that type of thing. I was that type of woman. Mm -hmm. And so for me to stand before what I thought were a council of men would have made me angry, but there it didn't. The love that they you know, sent to me was incredible. And they explained to me that I had not fulfilled the calling that God had for me. And I said, well, I can't go back. After being here, I can't go back. And they said, well, let's let you know what your mission is. But after you know, you, it has to be removed from your memory. Um, or, or, or you won't fulfill it because, or you'll rush to get it done and take it out of its time. So they, it was given to me what my mission was. And that was to bring back all the information that they had given me and to share it. And I said to Jesus, how on earth am I gonna share this? How am I gonna tell people that there is no hell. How am I gonna tell them that? They, they believe in hell. He said, tell them this. If they as a good parent wouldn't cast any one of their children into a lake of fire. Right. Or wouldn't throw them into outer darkness forever, remove them from them. How much greater is God's love than yours? And I thought, wow, that solves it. <laughs> he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. Of course. And so it was after, and he said that it would be given to me as time goes on. And even as time goes on, if it's needed, I'll have more memory of what I experienced. After coming back, which was a horrible experience. <laughs> the pain, all the, all the like, oh, oh, why am I back here? It's like putting on a really bad suit again. You're like, oh, God. That's exactly <laughs> what I felt. I thought, oh, that dirty feeling. You, I just felt dirty um, coming back to the body. And during the time I was laying in the hospital uh, bed, still now recovering from everything, uh, Every now and then I'd be taken to, and shown more of the progress of our world and where it was going and why it was necessary. Number one, that people learn that God loves everyone. He created everyone. 
he's in touch with us more than we know, but we aren't open to to that. All this stuff was was a lot of that was fed to me while still in my bed. Um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Oh, so while you were when you were back and recovering, a lot of this information started to kind of seep back in. Uh, No, I was given more information. Yeah, right. So it was like they they were downloading in the Matrix. They were downloading Kung Fu into the back of your head. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that because that was another exciting thing about my experience because we are constantly being downloaded. Interesting. You are downloaded by your heart's desires. And so you have to be careful what your heart desires or it starts coming your way, right? I mean, we actually, well, that book came out, The Laws of Attraction or something. Laws of Attraction, The Secret and all that stuff, right? Someone read my book. <laughs> as it's unfolded i'm going that's embraced by light that's embraced by light um so that was uh that was really interesting i and and uh, and uh but anyway my mind was going off to some something else well let me ask you let me ask you a lot of times near-death experiencers feel they feel that they experience a life review did you get a life review i did I had a life review, which no one will really want ever. Right. <laughs> Not that I, you know, I didn't kill anyone. I didn't do any of that, but I did things that I was ashamed of. Sure. And, and there were people's feelings that I hurt, things that I said, things that I did, mm-hmm. you know, to hurt them purposely. And when you're, Back as a spirit being, those things are more painful than they would be, you know, in, in the flesh, you, you would say, well, they deserved it, right? I did that. I mean, you always have a way of, of making something. Rationalization. Rationalizing, yeah. But when you're back in the spirit, you know that you came to earth to grow your spirit. Then you feel like you're a complete failure. I failed in that. I could have been better and it was grievous, but it goes on. I call it the ripple effect in my book. If you hurt someone and they don't let go of that hurt, but pass it on and pass it on. Like a lot of uh, parents nowadays, you read about it in the newspaper, they raping their children. Why? Because they were raped. Right molested or whatever their children go out and start doing the same thing it becomes a family trait almost it ripples right on through the family so when you when you die and you go through your life review you have to experience what the other person felt in other words, it's, it, it's kind of like that karma. But you're experiencing what they felt. You, you, you hear what they have said about you because of that. You get all of that. It's almost like a cleansing thing you've got to go through. So 
all of this goes on and on and on for generation because I asked about, about Hitler. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what the that? Pain. Oh, God. oh my God. Yes. Now, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is you make what you have done right to the greatest extent that you can. But you have to forgive yourself, but you're not going to forget what you did because that's all part of the progress of mm -hmm. uh, process of uh, not doing it again. You have to remember. And so it, you know, if you've hurt someone, make if you can make it right and seek their forgiveness and also forgive yourself. And you forgive yourself by praying and asking God to help you to forgive yourself. Self-forgiveness is the worst kind. It's very hard to forgive yourself. Right, we're, we're the toughest on ourselves and anybody else can be sometimes. Oh, absolutely. But so, you know, my experience wasn't just about heaven. It was about the meaning of life and about living your life abundantly, not in this, you know, in some of the churches, they they say, they go in and they sing songs like, I'm a sinner and I'm a this and I'm a that. And, you know, they're mournful songs. You come out, you feel like low life. You feel like a creep. You feel like you're just the worst sinner ever. They misunderstand. They just don't get it. Mm. You know, if Jesus died on a cross for, to... Uh, save us from our sins and he says in every way he can look you're mine and i have paid the price so forget about that go out and do the best you can do so it's about life and the people who contact me it's amazing what they were able to let go of and uh, to to have a happier life so it's not just about death it's to me more about accepting life and embracing it and doing the very best you can in life. Now, how, after this experience, how long did it take you before you were able to get the book off the ground, get it out into the world, that whole story? I, I was challenged after I came back, very challenged. I wasn't the same person I was before. And, uh, be, you know, before I, before I, again, low self-esteem, low self-worth, I hadn't worked, you know, I didn't go to any counselors or anything. No one even suggested it. I didn't even know about them. Um, but after coming back, my husband noticed that there was a great change in me. I was stronger. I was direct. I lived my life in a very, uh, you know, I'm transparent. And uh, before I'm quiet about everything, not hiding things, just I didn't feel like I, who wanted to acknowledge me, you know, I mean, it was just a weird personality thing. So he was a dominant person in our marriage. And then when I came back, I was stronger. I was more vocal. I was more self-assured. And that took a while for him to, now I shared all my experience with him 
So he knew about it, but he was, it was challenging for him. Our marriage began to suffer. Um, we, we would talk about it though. I mean, so we kept things together. We had great communication between each other. So it worked out. We were married almost 50 years. So it worked out great for us. But um, I went, went into depression. I, I don't know if you know what agoraphobia is. I had that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't leave the house. I was fearful of being out with people. Um, anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Mm -hmm. I went through all of that for a time. And I prayed about it and prayed about it. And, I, and, and understanding the power of prayer, understanding that prayers are heard. I watched prayers when I was in heaven. I watched prayers come up like beams of light. And so I, I, know, I know that And that these are these uh, electrical things I was telling you about that go uh, out. Right. To so I knew about the power of prayer and I prayed and prayed and prayed, but I wasn't getting much better. And. And then finally, one day, uh, I heard in my, from my spirit, in my head, in my ears, the voice of God, you might say, say, find me in the world. Go out and find me in the world. Because I says, you know, Heavenly Father, how can I live without you? I can't. He says, find me in the world. So I started going out around the block and I was, because I loved flowers since being in heaven. People who had gardens and whatnot, I would look at their gardens and and I'd, I'd say, that's God in there and that's God in there. I started finding him in everything, everything. And I drew energy from that. And I knew that you could draw energy from anything, everything, the trees, the flowers. They are their spirit. Each living thing has spirit, Every everything that lives and breathes and feeds it has a spirit and so i started hanging out in the gardens a lot mm -hmm. i started i became a tree hugger mm -hmm. and uh and i started to gain my energy back and um and then one day i was told it was time to write the book and it was 19 years later We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It was so it was 19 years later that you decided to write the book. I didn't decide. I was oh, told so did you did you were you involved with Raymond in his book at all or no? Uh, I met Raymond uh, back in I think it was the late 80s. Uh, but I wasn't involved in his book. No. And it's, okay. I was just I was just curious because he's you know he you're you're such a detailed NDE that uh, you know I know he's talked to everybody who's almost everybody who's had an NDT at one point or another. Yeah, I know Raymond, but I uh, but no, uh, I think I was on television show with him mm -hmm. when I first met him. And, Got it. Uh, I had lunch with him. Uh, uh, and, and he told me about his friend, uh, Howard Storm, who also wrote a book later. And he said, you need to call him and talk to him. And I did. 
And he said Howard didn't want to write his book. And so I kind of convinced him to, to write it. And, uh, but they were the only two that I, that I knew at the time because gotcha. uh, Embraced by Light was already out at that time. Yeah. And Embraced by Light is, is one of those seminal books in the, in the, in the topic of near-death experiences. Like I said, it's such a detailed account one of the most detailed accounts of a near-death experience ever. And uh, it's, I mean, it's gone on to sell millions, millions and millions of copies over the years. So it definitely reached an audience to say the least. Well, it really did. And, uh, and, and it, it, that, you know, I'm going to have to write about that at some point. Uh, right now I'm working on the script for the movie Oh, good for you. That's it's awesome. Challenging. Yes, I know. Over the years, it's been challenging because, uh, you know, it's been, the book has been out since 1992. Mm -hmm. I've had many people come forward and want to help get the movie, but the, believe it or not, they wanted me to die on a motorcycle. Uh, Diana, oh, because it's more, it's more interesting. <laughs> yes, I said because, I because of the whole going up to, uh, to heaven or the afterlife. Speaking to Jesus, going yeah. into a rose. Right, right. Not not interesting enough. We need some action. We need exactly. If that's not Hollywood, I don't know what is. Jesus. That's exactly what they were doing. And it was crazy. And so I and and I I won't mention any names. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you yeah. So and did you self-publish the book originally or did you how did you get the public? Because I know there's a story there. Okay, there's a great story there, actually, and uh, it's heavenly, mm -hmm. because while I was, um, I was told when I was told to write the book, I was awakened at about, I don't know, 530 in the morning, six, something like that, and I was told, open your eyes, and I opened my eyes. Now, I'm accustomed to receiving visitations you might call it and so I opened my eyes and I was told it was time to write the book that was the second warning on that because I was actually told that when I was on the way to work and I had some I love classical music and it was on and I had my hand up and I was leading it like an orchestra mm -hmm. uh, you know orchestrating it and uh, I was doing that when the voice came and said it's time to write the book and I was startled. It startled me. It was like someone was sitting in the car and uh, with me. And I was alone, actually. And I said, I, I don't know how to write a book. I've never written a book. I don't know how to write anything, actually. And uh, they said, time to write the book. That was the first time. Then I didn't hear from them until that morning. <laughs> I didn't hear from them. that They, let, they tried leaving messages. I couldn't. <laughs> I was, I just, I just disconnected my phone. I couldn't hear from them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was laying in bed and I, this voice said, open your eyes. And so I opened my eyes and I said, don't close your eyes. And so I'm laying there with my eyes open. I'm thinking, what in the heck's going on? Words started going across. And this is another matrix thing. The words went down like this. Yeah. My words went like this. And this is why I go, what the heck? I've got to go see that movie and find out about these fellas who wrote it. Yeah. My words went across like this. And I'm looking at them. And at first, they started slow. And I could see that they were letters, you know, words, actually words. The letters were going across. And then pretty soon, they, they sped up. 
and I just stayed focused. And my husband got up to go to work and he says, are you all right? And I just signaled him to stop. And he went out. Now he got used to these peculiar things that would happen to me. So he just thought, oh, well, what the heck. She's at it again. I'm just going <laughs> to. Just gonna go. I'm gonna go make my coffee. <laughs> exactly what he said. <laughs> he went on and got his coffee, and so the word just kept going across. And then later, uh, after he came home from work, he said, "What was all that about?" I said, "Well, they woke me up and told me that it was time to write the book." I said, "This is the second time I'm, I'm being told, but this time I'm given what's in the book, and um, and what not to put in the book." And that I don't have to worry about a publisher. He says, how are you going to publish it? I says, I don't know. I've never published anything in my life. He said, um, they said not to worry about it. I will know the publisher when I hear his voice. I'll know it. He's going to call. And of course, my husband's going, oh, you know, what do you do? So uh, where he worked, he worked at, at Boeing. And uh, he worked in a department where they are always creating uh, different things. He, people there knew about publishing. And they said, he told them that I'm going to write a book. And they said, well, you know, you can self-publish. So he thought, oh, okay. And uh, so he started saving money. In fact, he went to get a loan when he found out how much it would cost to self-publish. We didn't have the money. And he came home and he says, honey, he says, don't worry about the book. I'm going to self-publish it. We'll, we'll, I'll help you self-publish it. I said, no, I don't want to do it that way. He said, how are you going to do it? I said, they said, the publisher will call me. He said, they don't work that way. I said, well, I don't know. I'm just going by what I was told. Well, my, sure. pe my people my people are telling me <laughs> that this is what's going to happen. So I'm going to trust my people. <laughs> I, know. I know it sounds crazy, but. So one day the phone rang and I would hear this man, I would know his voice and he would say one word that would be the clue that he was the right person. Mm -hmm. So the guy called, I thought I, I thought I, I, I go, wow, this is the one I, I know this voice. And so anyway, long story short, it was, I, I started working with him briefly to get the book he said send me a manuscript when i got ready to send him the manuscript the boy said no i'm going no and so but i already promised it so i only sent like 15 pages to the guy because i promised him and i i am a promise keeper so he got it and he, then he wrote back and he said, uh, it's not finished. I mean, you, I want a finished manuscript. The boy says, no, no. So um, then the phone rings and I answer it. It's another person, the same voice. But he said the magical word and that was passion. He says, Betty, he said, uh, because I, by this time, I was speaking at various churches and organizations. I started working as a, uh, in hospice and, uh, you, know, you know, with, with people and uh, speaking in the churches as 
this woman wrote down some notes and she started passing them around, Xeroxing them or whatever. And this caller had received some of those papers. It was like eight pages. And he said, Betty, he said, uh, I have a passion. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. To publish this. And I said, why didn't you call me a long time ago? I was mad at him. I said, because I'm already working with someone. And he said, who? And I told him, he says, oh, I know that guy. He says, I'll get the, I'll do everything I can to get the, get the rights. So that's how it happened. He got the rights. He didn't have a publishing company, but he talked some people into it. Someone went out and uh, borrowed $50,000 on their home. And that's how Embrace got published. And I worked with them. I even, I was even shown the cover of the book in the vision. Wow. The font size. And so when they came out with the font size, I says, no, it has to be in a different font size. And this is a, this is penny publishing isn't done like that. Publishers choose the cover of the book. They choose the font size. Mm-hmm. I said, I have it on the wrong paper. <laughs> I mean, I, I had every detail. So anyway, they changed it. But when the paper book, when the paper book came out, um, they, uh, the publishers called me Phantom Books. They called me and they said, we're doing the paperback. Betty, I understand that you know what the book is supposed to look like. And I says, yes, I do. And they says, what is it like? We're going to go for whatever you say. The book was such a success. Right. We're going to follow anything you say. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know? But, but God said he was going to open a door. And he said it was going to be tough and struggle. But he said, I will prepare the hearts who will listen. He said, so if you go out and, again, I'm paraphrasing. If you, when you go out with the book, don't pay attention to being scorned and ridiculed. Don't. Because they weren't prepared. Those who are prepared will listen. And he says they're prepared according to the openness of their heart. So when I went out and people started ridiculing me, which I got a lot of, I prayed for them because I knew that they were not open to hear Mm. the God. So, and I know that sounds crazy, but I never once felt offended. Not offended. That's it's such a remarkable story, Betty. I mean, the amount of the journey, holding on to the story for nineteen years, and the visions, the talking, getting the book out, and you know, it's affected millions of people's lives around the world. And you're still talking about it to this day. You sat, you know, you sat with Oprah. Back in the '90s, had a you know amazing conversation back as well. I mean, it's been a heck of an adventure for you. <laughs> well, it has been, and and I know people could find this if they if they were to uh, go on the internet. But 
I've had successes that are incredible. I met one of my favorite people of all times. Of course, I'm older. So, I mean, Dr. Welby, I don't know if you know that movie. I don't. Okay. Uh, Robert Young. Uh, I probably the only actor that I just was in love with. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, because we all fall in love with actors and actresses, people that we just dream of them. They're just so everything that we think that they are. Mm -hmm. uh, after reading Embraced by the Light, he called me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, someone called and said, uh, Betty, I just said, me. Uh, we have Robert Young on the phone. He'd like to talk to you. And I says, Robert Young? And I'm thinking, no way. Anyway, I was able to visit with him. He, he had a luncheon at his house for me. I met, um, and, and, and these to me are successes in that they reached out to me because they were having struggles that embrace sure. my life. Help. Prince, I don't even know if you know who Prince uh, is. I mean, Prince. The Prince. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not that young. Oh. Uh, yes, I do know. I, I, I might, thank you. Thank you, Betty. But I am, I am not that young. I, I was around in 84. Okay. <laughs> I, I know who Prince is. Okay, well, you look awfully young. I appreciate it. <laughs> I've been walking, I've been walking the earth for a little bit. Just, I do have some, I do have a little bit of gray here. So I'm not as, a, it's all done with post. Zoom just makes me, I put the filter on. That's all this is. Oh, did you really? <laughs> So well, Prince reached out. So you spoke to Prince as well. I was invited to Paisley Park, yeah, and uh, sat and visited with him for quite a while. He's such a uh, remarkable soul. Oh, well, now my son was mesmerized by Prince. I didn't really know who Prince was, to be honest, because I'm older mm -hmm. and not in that. You know, I mean, I've heard of you know heard of him, of course, but I didn't. You know, I wasn't really. He just went, you know, I'm more of the Elvis Presley. Game. Beatles, Beatles time. Yeah, got Beatles, it. Elvis Presley, that kind of thing. Um, but my son was touring with me. Uh, and when Prince came to one of my speaking events, yeah, believe it or not, I couldn't believe it. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. I was up on stage speaking and I thought, wow, the audience is really small. Well, it doesn't matter. God said he was going to prepare. And if it's one, two or three, I'm here for them. And the lights dimmed. I could hardly, I mean, it was bright on me, but I mean, I, could, I couldn't see anyone out in the audience. Uh, and then the back door of the, uh, the, it was almost like a stadium. It was big. And I thought mm -hmm. this great big place and nobody's here. The door opened up and in came uh, entourage. And standing out, first one in was a little short guy. And then all these people around him and they sat way in the back. That was Prince. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that until afterwards. So he bought them out. So it would become almost like a private event for him. It was like a private event for him. And so I was a little bit annoyed when I found that out, right? Like and, all these people could have been sitting there listening to the message. Exactly. And so the gal come and she goes, well, Prince would like to invite you to his uh, Paisley Park. 
And I thought, okay, I'll go there. I got a word or two to say to him. I mean, that was irritating. I didn't know who he was. And my son said, no, that's Prince, the Prince. I says, well, he's sure acting like a prince, like he owns everything. He can just buy anyone out. He says, mom, he says, uh, you've got to be careful what you say. He is awesome. So we went there and, and there he was. And uh, I just I, I just fell in love with the guy. I mean, he yeah. was uh, same age as my sons. So I can say that. And marvelous person, this wonderful and he had the thing across his cheek the slave yeah had a wonderful time with him but he and i became friends That's and, uh, yeah yeah and he just uh it, it was awesome so i've met some wonderful people like that who um uh they would never otherwise have been my friend except for embraced by light because embraced by light freed them to be themselves wow freed them to be themselves. And, um, and for that, I am forever grateful to God for changing my life through embrace too. Now, but I'm going to ask you just two questions. To ask all of my guests. Okay. Um, what is your mission in this life? To get the movie done. <laughs> and what is the ultimate purpose of life? Movie? No, the, the, of life in general for people. To free them from fear and to turn it, well, first off, well, actually, that's kind of the third thing. The first is to learn to love one another. And that's what Jesus said to me. The last I saw him, I said, how, you know, how am I going to share all this? He says, the most important thing is learn to love one another. And all else will be fine. Love one another. And so putting God first, love God, love one another, and freedom from fear. So you can grow your spirit and be the person that you mapped out. You it's a blueprint you made yourself to be. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And there are few, if any, coincidences in anyone's life. Mm -hmm. They're just not. And you and we are co-creators with God. Every day we get up and we create our day. Every day. And if, if, if you know, in the native way, if you're going down a path and you see that you're going down the wrong way. Stop and turn around. Stop and turn around. It's that simple. Right. Why keep trying to go that same way when you're off beat or you're, it's not doing it. You, you know, you're, you know, don't go that way. Mm -hmm. Turn around and come back go, or go in another direction. But, and that's what uh, the freedom of life is all about. You'd be surprised. I mean, I have, you know, it's going to next year, I will celebrate 50 years having had that experience. Wow. Years. I have given my life to embrace my light. Why? I want others to feel like what I feel. First, the glory of God. Second, 
freedom to live, freedom to uh, explore, freedom just to, uh, you know, to live righteously and purely as you can, and not necessarily in the structure of any sort of religion, except for faith in God. But I do believe in churches. I do believe that joining together with like-minded people is necessary. And if that's in a um, church building or whatever it's in, that's good. You need to be around like-minded people. Betty, I, I appreciate your time. And thank you so much for telling me your story and telling my audience the story. And hopefully this, this conversation um, enlightens, no pun intended, uh, the people listening, people listening to, and gives them the courage to fight, to, to follow their dreams and, and to really live a life without fear, um, and not to fear death and to, uh, to move forward with bravery throughout this life. So I appreciate you. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Well, I have a website and it is embracedbylight.com. Um, I also have a, a movie site that that uh, I put up. It's in embracedbylightmovie.com. And, um, uh, you know, if, right now, I, I you know, I, I accept contributions because I don't have all the millions of dollars that the publishing company got. And I praise God that they did because they stepped out on a limb and they helped me. Um, I think I would, uh, you know, I would certainly get the movie gone a long time ago if I, you know, if I had known. But God has his plan. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm waiting for that plan. Patience. <laughs> patiently. It's going to happen. <laughs> all the right people selected. Everything's going. They just don't know it yet. But when it happens, it is going to collide and it's going to be perfect. And it's going to help millions and millions of people. And these are the times that we need to get it out there. And I'm getting too old. I need to, um, I want my dream. If God is listening, and I know he is, what I want is to get the film done. And I'm going to buy, go to major cities, to some of these places where I watched The Matrix and where I watched, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I want to get a ticket and get into the rear part of the theater and watch it watch it and feel the spirits of those who are receiving i want that so i'm going to do that that's my my goal betty i wish you nothing but the best in your goal my dear thank you again so much for coming on the show and i truly appreciate you thank you for for, keep, for keeping up the good fight and trying to enlighten all of us <laughs> absolutely thank you again for inviting me I want to thank Betty so much for coming on the show and sharing her remarkable story with us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get her amazing book, Embracing the Light, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 088. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.